Hello and welcome to the Skeleton Factory Podcast, episode 38. 38. This is Adam coming to you from Austin, Texas, and today, tonight, I'm recording this episode at nighttime. I'll be reviewing the 1993 Australian film Bad Boy Bubby, directed by Rolf DeHare and starring Nicholas Hope. But first, I'm proud to announce that Skeleton Factory has a brand new sponsor, Deep Eddy Vodka. Since 2010, this authentic American vodka is distilled 10 times. It's gluten-free and made in small batches right here in Austin, Texas. I'm a big fan of their ruby red grapefruit-flavored vodka. It's made with the juice of real red grapefruits, like two shots a bunch of ice, and topped off with sparkling water. It's the perfect beverage when I'm watching movies or recording podcasts or sitting by the pool with the homies. And by homies, I mean completely all by myself, ignoring my neighbors as much as humanly possible. The first time I've enjoyed a cocktail made by Deep Eddie Vodka was on a hot summer day in 2018 in Oakland, California at a music festival where I saw The Mummies, I saw The Damned, and headlining was Devo. I'm a giant Devo fan. Those are fond and fuzzy memories, indeed. You can get your Deep Eddie Vodka online at deepeddyvodka.com. That's D-E-E-P-E-D-D-Y-V-O- dka.com or at your local festival and you can also order your deep eddy vodka uh, on drizzly on instacart and even nip yada and remember please drink responsibly thank you again deep eddy vodka for sponsoring the show We open in a dumpy, virtually windowless apartment. The character of Bubby, played by Nicholas Hope, is being bathed in a bucket and face being shaved by his obese mother, Flo. And the squalid dwelling looks like a cross between the room from Saw 1 and the workspace from um, Orozco, the embalmer. The place is a total shithole. Uh, it looks like uh, the dwelling of a, of a forgotten neighbor in the movie Gummo or something. Besides a feral cat kept in a makeshift crate made of what looks like a clothes hamper with a barbecue grill as a lid. Bubby has no contact with anyone else. Nobody. No neighbors, family members, children. Nobody. It's just him, his mom, and the cat with... The exception of the occasional cockroach. 
No TV, no radio, no books. Bubby's mother also uses her man-child son for sex. He doesn't even know it's wrong and might even enjoy it, actually. Who knows how long that's been going on. Uh, Bubby is 35 years old when this story starts and has never left this apartment. Never. He can't read nor write. With no education, no social interactions, and decades of mental and physical sexual abuse, the only way he knows how to communicate is parroting what his mom says to him and other people as well. The, this theme continues throughout the film. Bubby's mom has convinced him that the air outside their apartment is poison and he'll die if he goes outside. She reinforces this idea by wearing a gas mask every time she leaves the house. Even when she leaves the dwelling, the door is locked from the outside. And when she comes back home, she hangs up her gas mask and then padlocks the door from the inside to ensure Bubby's obedience and that he never leaves, presumably. And she sits him uh, at the kitchen table. This is when she leaves. She has him sit at the kitchen table and tells him to be still because a crude sculpture of a crucified Jesus hangs on the wall and he's always watching. So when she's out doing whatever the fuck she's doing, Bubby's forced to sit at the kitchen table, sat in a chair, and not to move. So, I mean, to the point where if he has to piss himself, he'll piss himself. And then his, and then his mom will actually have the nerve to get mad at him if he does this. So, it's a pretty bleak opening, and... Um. Okay, so this movie has a little bit of controversy tied to it. A little bit, a little bit. So let's get the con, the controversy out of the way. So, Bad Boy Bubby has been accused of animal cruelty due to the use of a dead cat in multiple scenes. Cats that were. Not killed on camera. In fact, there's nothing from what I have researched to indicate that any of the crew, any of the actors, the director, any anyone involved with the actual production actually killed these animals at all. Yet there are a small handful of film reviewers that rage against this movie. Bad Boy Bubby was famously walked out on by um, The Observer in London. Uh, their film critic, Mark Kermode, who... I want to read a quote from Mark Kermode. 
This is from the Sunday Mail in Glasgow, Scotland. This is from June 14th, 2009. Quote, I very, I very rarely walk out of a movie. I think no matter how bad it is, you should stay until the end. But I have a principle where I definitely leave any film which features actual cruelty to children or animals. Nowadays, any film passed by the British Board of Film Classification is not allowed to include child cruelty or maltreatment of animals. They are very strict on this, and I, am pr- I approve of it entirely. But I walked out of the film festival when they screened the 1993 Australian film Bad Boy Bubby, in which they mistreated a cat. End of quote. I'm going to take a hit off my drink here. It's Let's see. It is 1140. 11.40 Central Time, p.m., that is. It is 11.40 p.m. Central Time here in Austin, Texas. I've got a, a lovely cocktail. I had some deep eddy vodka earlier, and now I'm having a, uh, a nice gin and tonic and a lovely Texas logger as well. So daddy's having a relaxing evening. So getting back to this in the very same article, Mark Carmody praised the exorcist as his favorite movie saying he's viewed it 200 times. I mean, I personally haven't seen the exorcist even a hundred times, but I do know more about the movie than probably the average person. And I know about the making of the exorcist and the lengths that the director, William Friedkin had to go to get the shots that he wants and the performance that he needs. And, uh, I don't know. It's, I mean, just the way William Friedkin made movies seems like it would run contrary to, I don't know, the ethics of the BBFC. I don't know so much about, Mr. Komodi's uh, thoughts about that, but the BBFC's definition of decency would probably not approve of uh, the Exorcist, and they haven't in the past. Actually, that a film was highly edited when it was first released in the UK. That is, but also Mark Komodi, uh, he's a big fan of uh, Apocalypse Now, which contains arguably the most infamous actual death scene of an animal in film history next to some probably choice scenes from Cannibal Holocaust, which Mr. Komodi also praises. Uh, He actually praises it in a video uh, called the Top 10 Cannibal Movies. It's a list of his Top 10 Cannibal Movies, and that's on his Kermode and Mayo YouTube channel. So, I mean, he may have not approved with the depiction of um, 
quote unquote cruelty to a cat, but and I mean, I'm to a certain extent a fan of Mark Comodi. You know, I, I find his reviews to be very thoughtfully written, and his 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 work's pretty decent. And I mean, I don't agree with him on everything. I don't agree with you know everything with most uh, film critics, but he doesn't speak uh, he doesn't speak out against Cannibal Holocaust like he did like. Bad Boy Bubby. You know, Bad Boy Bubby, he just didn't watch at all. Yeah. And, uh, well, there's even, okay, let's say there's there's the film, uh, Michael uh, Haneke's uh, Benny's Video, which I'm a giant fan of. And even that film gets his stamp of approval, even with its disturbing death of a, um, of a pig in that movie. There's a, there's a pig who's shot in the head with a sort of a single round, like uh, like impact gun for um, pig slaughter purposes. You've seen those things, um, but yeah, even it's not like he walked out of Benny's video, and that pig dying scene is in the very beginning. And I don't know. There's a bunch of movies where you see animals. Uh, mistreated, I guess it depends on your definition of mistreated. You know, there's Jorg Bucher writes Necromantic, where there's a uh, a rabbit that's, you know, skinned, but for whatever reason, he actually walked out of this movie. So, you know, I don't want to rib Mark Cremody too much. I mean, enjoyment of film is highly subjective, but walking out on Bad Boy Bubby because of the dead cat scenes is is to me a bit much. But, you know, his loss. He missed a really good movie. And it is a fantastic film. This is probably one of my favorite Australian films, actually, ever. So, that being said, I have also, and I don't want to necessarily clump Mark Cremody into this, but I have very little pity or patience for those who would side with or cozy up to the fascistic bunch of assholes like the British Board of Film Classification. The BV, the BBFC are awful fucking people. I mean, look up, look up the video nasties. Okay, just look up the history of that. There's several documentaries on it. There's been books written about it. it. Just look up the video nasties and to see exactly the extent of the BBFC's wrath. There was a, there was a, a movie, oh, when did that come out? Last year, maybe? Called Censor. It's not specifically about British film classification or um censoring i mean there's there's some of that in the movie but you know the mo- the movie's about a lot more than that but it's sort of sort of the base like the base of the movie sort of uh, built around uh, the character of somebody who actually works for the uh, BBFC so but i will give him props for his open distaste for He's open to states for uh, 
censorship in films because i mean he had to live in britain when all the censoring of movies like the texas chainsaw massacre and the exorcist and driller killer all these the 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 video nasties list you can just look it up and it's a list of 70 plus films that were just deemed too criminal to be available to the british public to the extent where people who owned copies or video stores who rented out copies of some of these movies were actually imprisoned. So pretty extreme. This is in the eighties. You know, this is, I mean, that's kind well, kind of was a while ago, but in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't really that long ago, but for context, uh, Bubby kills one cat quote-unquote, kills uh, one cat because he doesn't... Uh, it's a, it Basically, the idea is that it illustrates that he doesn't understand the concept of specifically breathing uh, or death, for that matter. Like Lenny from Of Mice of Men sort of thing. And he ends up wrapping the poor kitty in plastic wrap. Plastic wrap. Or cling film, if you <laughs> if you're if you're from uh, if you're from not America, <laughs> anywhere outside America, it's not plastic wrap or saran wrap. It's cling film, just like aluminum foil is aluminium foil. Anyways, uh, but he when he when he wraps the cat in plastic and kills it, like you don't see him do it. It just kind of it just. And this happens a lot in the movie. You'll just go from one scene, then you'll hard cut to the next scene, and he's just sitting at the kitchen table, and he has this cat wrapped in plastic, and it's very jarring. There's a, there's a lot of edits like that in the movie, and it's very jarring, but it's it's very well done. Like it keeps you captivated the entire time. And it, and again, he doesn't kill the cat maliciously he just simply does not understand what he is doing later later in the movie there's a group of like dumb street hoods who uh attack a cat and break its neck you know so then that's you know that's the second dead cat quote-unquote dead cat scene in the movie but neither one of these incidents uh incidents are shown on camera I do recognize that the use of a dead animal for entertainment purposes may be upsetting to some people, and that's understandable. I do understand that, but in the scene where Bubby kills the cat, from what I've researched, and I believe this is true, the first cat, which was his pet, um, the character of Bubby's pet, not actually the actor, but... Uh, that cat was um, that cat was going to be put down anyways. That's just sort of this Australian law. I mean, I, I mean, they have that in the United States, where if certain animals can can't be adopted, if certain animals can't be rescued or whatever, they're just put down because cats in some areas are sort of a pestilence, you know, there's just too many of them. And 
you know, sometimes they got to be put down. Same with dogs and I guess you're, if you're in Florida, alligators. <laughs> um, but, and then the second instance of the use of a, a quote unquote dead cat in this movie to do, to my knowledge, I might have all this completely wrong, but if from what I can tell, this is pretty spot on. The second use of a dead cat in this movie, the cat was actually sedated prior to, you know, prior to calling action, right? So there's a scene where there is a dead cat and the dead cat is picked up and, but the cat I, from what I understand was just merely sedated. So the cat appeared dead, but wasn't actually dead. So for all you cat lovers out there, I hope that, uh, that is your, that's your, <laughs> that's your, that's your, uh, uh, trigger warning. That's your, tr- your dead cat trigger warning for this movie. Cause I do recommend it. I do think it's very good. And for all of you people who are, use the website Rotten Tomatoes as a, as a way to, you know, um, indicate if a movie's good or not. Bad Boy Bubby, interestingly, has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, which kind of surprised me, really. Um, I mean, personally, it doesn't surprise me because I think the movie's great, but, but, I mean, there's not a lot of 100% anything. I mean, I can't even remember the last time I saw 100% on Rotten Tomatoes for anything. So, But Bad Boy Bubby does, at least at the time of what you're hearing right now, the, of this recording, it has 100%. So there must be something to the movie. Don't walk out of the film just because you see a dead cat, okay? I tr- trust me, this movie is worth sitting through. One day, there comes a knock on the door, and it's Bubby's estranged father, the character of Harold, and Harold shows up after 35 years 35 years not even knowing he had a son he just tracked down his ex <laughs> think about that uh i don't know i mean i i read the analytics to this show and um there might be one person listening to the show uh who's actually old enough to have you know had an ex 35 years ago (laughs) i'm sure there's some like 60 year old listening to this show who's like oh yeah i had a really fucking smoking hot girlfriend 35 years ago i think i'm gonna go to her house and see if she uh she'll take me back (laughs) that's basically what happens in this situation what sounds ridiculous but this movie moves at such a pace where the the world of this movie you can kind of just look past things like that it's there it just it's kind of unimportant the logic of it sometimes but so harold shows up it's been 35 years doesn't even know he has a son and uh he looks he seems to uh be a preacher a priest of some kind who has obviously fallen out of the good graces of the lord he's rude he's belligerent 
And he's basically a, a deadbeat drunk asshole. So uh, I can, hey, I can relate. I can relate. I, you know, not all our parents are perfect, you know. And I, my father's certainly not perfect. Far from it. I mean, he, he may not have been a preacher at all, for all I know. <laughs> he, he may have just shown up dressed as a preacher, but... Um, anyways, he shows up and he kind of sucks as a person, but he uh, openly hates Bubby. It seems that his mission is to freeload off of Bubby's mom, Flo. So it looks like he wants to kind of like rekindle their relationship from three and a half decades ago and uh, nothing more. He kind of seems like a bummy fucking freeloader. So, but Bubby still doesn't know what to make of this uh, situation. I mean, this is probably the second human being he's ever seen. So, <laughs> um, and all the terrible shit Harold says in him, he doesn't really process or understand. Like, um, Bubby just, he just digests and parrots the awful shit that Harold says to him, but not really knowing exactly what it, any of it means. He's like a bird. <laughs> so one day Bubby dresses up in Harold's priest outfit and uh, begins to make sexual advances towards his, uh, his mom. Now keep in mind, let me remind you that Flo has been having sex with Bubby I mean, probably, realistically, probably most of his life. She probably molested him when he was a child, when he became, I don't know, when he became of puberty age, probably started making him have sex with her. And then now that he's 35, she's been, she's been pretty much banging her son, like, for a good, probably, I don't know, 20 years, <laughs> maybe more, who knows? But so, um, so Bubby puts on Harold's priest outfit and starts making kind of like, um, starts making the moves on his mom. And Bubby has developed an obsession with Flo's huge tits. She's kind of a big bitch. And he pulls out one of her, <laughs> pulls out one of her boobs. And she's kind of into it because she's been fucking her son forever so she doesn't find this weird or anything she finds it rather flattering but then harold actually walks into the room and she immediately turns on bubby she screams harold he's trying to attack me and harold obviously has no idea that flo's been molesting their only son for his entire life you know it's this like Oh, Harold, th thank God you're here. Thank God. The drunk idiot who dumped a load in me th fucking 35 years ago has returned. Now I don't have to fuck my adult son anymore. 
this is the situation that we are dealing with. <laughs> and which is, I know me saying that sounds very disturbing. Pretty much everything up to this point probably sounds rather uh, unsettling and disturbing. But, uh, but keep in mind, keep in mind that, um, and it's kind of ironic that uh, incest porn is the most popular adult entertainment that there is as of right now. Keep that in mind. And that I don't get. That's, that, that's a fetish that I don't quite understand. Maybe stepsister incest porn, maybe. But your mom? No. I just, I don't know. I don't know where that... I don't know where that derives from. If there's any... If there's any doctors in the audience who can contact me and let me know what, like, why. I mean, I understand that there's... Um, there's that whole kind of fucking Freudian thing where people want to fuck their moms and shit like that. But there's a difference between actually wanting to fuck your mom and then watching porn of somebody fucking their mom. <laughs> it's like, it's like similar, but it's different somehow. And I, it's like, it's like, what is that? What is that obsession? Because of, Obviously, there's a fucking market for it. I don't know. It's nothing I'm into, but it seems like a lot of people are. And I wonder, like, where the fuck does that even come from? Anyways. I mean, it's... I, mean, <laughs> I guess this movie's not... By today's standards, it's probably not that weird at all. But So, Harold and Flo, after Bubby pulls out one of her, one of her tits... And she fakes being attacked by Bubby. Harold comes to her aid and the two of them throw Bubby out the front door into the hallway. Now, Bubby has never been outside before. He's been told his whole life that if he goes outside, the air will kill him instantly because it's pure poison. So they throw him out in the hallway and slam the door and Bubby is Hits the floor. And actually, and as an audience member, you don't know that that's not true either. Like, you don't know. It could be like a weird apocalyptic world outside where there's flying fucking cars and monsters and shit. Like, and who knows what's out there? But they throw him out the door. And as soon as he hits the floor in the hallway, he begins gasping for air and... He affixes the uh, the gas mask, the one that his mom wears when she goes to and from the house. He just somehow has that out in the hallway, and he just straps on this fucking mask. And now, um, oh, you know, because the air is poisoned, so he needs a gas mask. And it's funny because the gas mask has it doesn't have like a standard like like respirator filter you know they're like filters that are like attached to the actual face of the mask it has like a tube and the tube i assume is connected to some type of external filtration um device of some kind but the, the tube is not connected to anything so i mean i i guess hey thank god that bubby doesn't understand how the fuck gas masks work <laughs> um so Bubby finds out it's not the case that the air is 
a deadly poison. And after uh, his uh, herald, uh, well, his his dad and his mom uh, leave for the day. And when they leave, they just step over Bubby like he's a doormat and take off. Probably to go get fucking drunk somewhere. But Bubby gets up, goes inside, and he just fucking destroys their shitty little apartment. He just breaks all the fucking furniture, flips everything over, and just fucking destroys the fucking place. He's pissed. You know, his whole reality, his whole world has been completely turned upside down. And he doesn't know how to express his anger, his frustration, or anything. So he just violently lashes out. So he totally fucking wrecks the place. But it's, you know, probably an improvement. The place fucking sucks. So So his folks show up later in the evening, totally shit face. And they pass out on what's left of the furniture after giving a shit that Bubby trashed the fucking place for about 10 seconds. They give a shit and then they just fucking pass out. So they're both passed out and Bubby takes this opportunity to wrap both of their heads with plastic wrap cling wrap or cling film if you will and they both die uh, they both die uh, they both died in their sleep no he wrapped their head in plastic wrap and they both suffocated so okay so everything I just told you this is in the first 30 minutes of the movie so this movie has a fucking impressive breakneck pace like so much stuff happens so quickly in this movie. It's 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 pretty remarkable. And it makes you feel crazy. You feel like you're on fucking drugs. <laughs> so um so both of his parents are dead and Bubby is now alone. The apartment is in ruins. Both his terrible parents are dead. His cat is dead. So, but, you know, somehow you feel sorry for Bubby, even though he literally murdered every living thing he's ever known. <laughs> but you don't think about that. You don't think of it, think of it that way. At least I didn't. When I watched it, I, it's because you, you feel bad for him because he's just sort of reacting to things without the uh, without having sort of the societal idea of consequences for your actions because he doesn't understand his actions so there's no way he can even understand consequences he's like this feral you know man it's crazy so some time passes and bubby tries to venture outside eventually and almost gets ran over by this group of drunk assholes. And, and one of them actually kind of looks like a uh, uh, flash Gordon <laughs> in my head. Fl- it, this is like a prequel to flash Gordon before flash Gordon goes into space and defeats Ming the merciless and uh, saved every one of us and, um, and the universe 
from uh, the cold, icy grip of Ming the Merciless. Uh, Flash Gordon was just sort of like a like a drunk dude bro in Australia, like just starting shit with passers-by in the middle of the night. So that's what I think of in my head. And also, like, where Bubby lives, like, where him and his mom live, like, the place they live in already is a shithole and it sucks, but the neighborhood they live in is fucking terrifying. It looks like, uh, you know what it looks like? It looks like ice T's headquarters from, uh, Johnny mnemonic. What was his, his character's name was like T bone, <laughs> something like that. And he, yeah. So where his headquarters is, um, it's just that neighborhood. It's always like barrels, with fire coming out of them and like piles of garbage with fire coming out of them and like burnt out like cars and trash and sort of warehouses in the distance. Like the place sucks. Okay. That's what Bubby's uh, neighborhood looks like. I'm going to hit my drink real quick. Oh, that is a fine gin and tonic. I'm going to crack into this lovely Texas lager right now. So right off the bat, you like, there's a lot of religious uh, subtext in the movie. It's sort of, it's everywhere. It's sprinkled everywhere. And Bubby, Bubby ends up uh, hanging out with some choir singers from the Salvation Army. He just sort of comes up upon them while they're singing out uh, outside one evening. And, and he ends up uh, going out with them for pizza. And they end up paying for the meal with uh, actual donation money from their, like, Salvation Army, like, collection cans. And Bubby is even brought home by one of them, this beautiful young woman, to uh, have, uh, she takes him home to have uh, the sex. She wants to have the sex with him. And I don't know. I don't know what it's like. I feel like maybe this is uh, director Rolf DeHare's sort of jab at specifically Christianity. And there's a lot of that in this movie. And, but I, I don't know. I think it's, um, cause I mean, Salvation Army is a, it's a Christian organization and showing a Christian organization who uses their donations to go out for pizza. <laughs> and one of your, one of your choir singers is, taking strange men off the street home and having sex with them. That just seems like very, <clears throat> I don't know. It's got this weird duality to it in that like Bubby, it's like they, she brings this man in off the street and it's weird. She, before they have sex, she actually shaves him like his mom did. It's weird. And actually, and uh, she likes, she prefers for the uh, woman on top position, which is, doubly weird because that's exactly the same position Bubby has sex with his mom in. They show that in the movie. So woman on top. And um yeah, seeing that sort of 
scenes, uh, kind of seeing these, um, I don't know, not Christian behavior, I think is sort of a, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of a jab at Christianity and I don't care if people take a jab at Christianity one way or the other. It's like whatever to me, but I feel like that's what Rolf the hair really was trying to drive that point home in this movie. But I mean, there's a lot of it in the movie, but it's not even like anything that stands out so much. There's so much other stuff going on that it's sort of, it's just sort of a, something that's in the background really. But, um, just imagine what it would be like. Everything you see and hear is the first time you've ever seen or heard it. Like that's some deeply profound shit. And that's the charm of bad boy Bubby. He has this innocence that is this innocence that is constantly fighting with reality. So no matter, no matter what he does, you're still sort of on his side. You still are sympathetic towards him because he has this, this, um, he has this like childlike innocence and, but he does this horrible shit. Like so far he's killed two human beings and an animal and uh, <laughs> you're, you're still totally on his side at this point. I mean, I don't think I'm the only one who thinks that way about, you know, it's just, it's, it's really, really brilliant shit. So let's, let's jump to when Bubby makes friends with a down and out rock band. That's sort of like the next big thing that happens. And they take Bubby in as a uh, well, he's, he kind of fills in this role of like security slash roadie, but also he's kind of like this weird, he's like this weirdo eccentric dude. So they really like him. So they kind of bring him into the fold of their, their like band. So back at the band's place, Bubby notices uh, on the front page of the local newspaper, they're all sitting around this big table, just kind of hanging out. And Bubby notices the the front page of the newspaper, and the headline is "Cling Rap Killer," <laughs> with the deceased bodies of both of his parents on the front page. And he's like. Oh, he he tells the group, um, that's my, that's, that's me mom and pop. <laughs> that's my, me mom and pop. And everyone's like, what? Those, those are your parents? Your parents were murdered by the cling wrap killer? And they don't know what to make of it. They're like, oh, dude, fuck it. That's, that's fucked up. But like Bubby's not up noticeably upset at all and you know that everyone kind of circles around this newspaper article and one of them notices like oh shit there's a fifty thousand dollar reward for any information that leads to the uh the capture of the killer because you know according to this article they no one knows it's not like bubby was implicated as a or suspected as being the cling wrap killer like there's 
you know, according to the newspaper, they have no idea who did it. So I, I think they, they're not entirely sure if Bubby actually is the one who killed them because Bubby didn't really say that he did, but the band's kind of like, Oh shit. He is kind of a weird fuck up kooky dude. And he says these are his parents and they just got murdered. So they, you know, they notice that there's a $50,000 reward and sure this could help out this struggling band situation, but they don't know for sure if Bubby was involved and they didn't want to snitch him out. And that's, that is definitely commendable. So the band takes, the band ends up taking him to this like rich art gallery guy. Who's like a friend of theirs. And the guy looks like a cross between, um, what's that dude's name? Uh, Bikram Chandhuri. He's the guy who like, founded Bikram yoga. <laughs> he looks like a cross between Bikram Chandhuri and uh, Steve Vai, the guitar player, Steve Vai from the movie Crossroads. If you ever seen that, it's where Steve Vai and Ralph Macchio have a, a guitar battle. <laughs> and um, somehow Ralph Macchio defeats Steve Vai in a guitar playing competition. Um, yeah, that's who this art gallery guy looks like. So, uh, let, I don't, I don't remember the guy's name. I don't even know if the guy is credited with even having a name. I'm not sure, but let's let's call him. Let's let's just call the guy uh, Bikram Chandhuri. So Bikram Chandhuri dresses Bubby up like uh, Simon Lebon from uh, the Hungry Like the Wolf video, and he takes Bubby out. So. Basically, this band drops Bubby off with this guy, and this guy agrees to take him in. And they go to this uh, they go to this fancy restaurant. It's it's uh, Bikram Chandari and Bubby, and they're hanging out at this kind of you know fancy pants restaurant. And a woman walks in that catches Bubby's eye. Now, this woman. Okay, so this woman's name is uh, her character's name is Angel. Which I guess is another religious reference, isn't it? And she actually has appeared at this point in the movie three times in different locations where Bubby was. And it's really obvious it's her every time she appears. But you may have missed that it was actually her. It's very obvious upon a second viewing of this movie but uh, the director sort of just places her character like very, like uh, kind of around in the movie and you sort of forget that it's her until she reappears again and there's like this you're like oh i recognize her what what did i why how do i know her and you're like oh i literally seen her three times in the past 20 minutes but it's sort of a she's hidden in plain sight sort of thing she she ends up having a larger part uh, to this story later on, but we'll get to that. But Bubby gets up to go talk to her because he's kind of sitting at his table, like kind of checking her out. So he gets up to go talk to her. But the only like reference that Bubby has 
to um, communicating to the ladies is he that well that he finds attractive that is is to talk like his dead dad Harold did so he strolls up to the table and says uh, you're a sexy woman Flo God you've got great tits <laughs> great big whoppers of things and um so at least uh, Bubby understands the concept of having game. So that, that's fascinating. Angel, oddly enough, uh, takes offense to this um, <laughs> to this pickup line. Um, basically tells him in no uncertain terms to fuck off, and she ends up storming, up, storming out of the restaurant. Bubby chases after her, trying to explain that uh, she is mistaken. He just wanted to tell her how much he loves her great big whopper tits. But remember, uh, Bubby's, um, he only talks, Bubby only talks in random phrases that he hears from people. So it's not like he can really explain himself to uh, this, the angel character. And actually, at this point in the movie, you don't even know her name. She's just some random woman in the restaurant. <laughs> but this whole chasing her outside thing, and it's, it's, um, it, it ends up landing Bubby in jail for the night. Because you can't be grabbing and accosting women on the streets. You know, that's, that's not good. So Bubby goes to jail for the night, and while there, he's, um, you know, um, among other things, he's thrown into a tiny cell with this larger bearded naked man who's credited as uh, the animal who's, uh, well, he's naked and he's smeared with blood and feces. And, <laughs> and the second Bubby is put into the cell with him, <laughs> Bubby says, uh, me, Bubby, the cling wrap killer, and the dude stands up and immediately throws Bubby down on the bunk and proceeds to fuck his ass while a bagpipe band is playing outside the cell. We don't know why there's a group of bagpipers playing outside in this like hallway where all the jail cells are, but there is. And, uh, It's um, that is a rough. That's a rough night in jail. Okay, you know. Um, so we hard cut to the next scene where it's in an office, and the warden. I guess it's the warden. He's he's telling Bubby, um, "You have been rehabilitated. Here's ten bucks. Now don't come back." That's basically what he tells him. <laughs> After he's been arrested and thrown into a cell and ass raped, uh, he just he, tell, he tells him, "You have been rehabilitated. Here's ten bucks. Leave and never show your face here again." So that's uh, Australian prisons for you, I guess. So we jump to this um, to a church that appears to be under 
renovation. So Bub, Bubby's just walking by this church and he goes inside and um, and he's you can kind of you again more sort of like religious stuff and he sees the you know the crucified uh, Christ on the wall and he's I mean it's like a giant version of the one he's he had in his mom's house and stuff so. I don't know what could be going through his head going into an actual church. So Bob Bubby's there and he strikes up a conversation with the uh, church organist and it's beautiful music. Like when he walks in, there's this sort of this very churchy organ music playing. And he kind of goes up to um, where the organist is and he strikes up a conversation uh, with him, but it's like the conversation doesn't even begin really in the church. We again jump to the next location, which is a, uh, a turbine hall and an electric power station. So it's just like this very great, big, almost alien like factory setting, very brightly lit. And in this one long sort of pull out, sort of zoom out crane shot, the organist guy, who's credited as the scientist delivers this very impassioned uh, atheistic speech about how it's the duty of all human beings to think God out of existence. And it's the only way humans can take responsibility over things and move forward. If cut, if only that were true. Uh, but you know, I think especially nowadays, I think the cult of science is, as it's worshipped today, has the possibility to inflict just as much damage as probably any religion, um, in my opinion. But, you know, if if we're not careful, that's something that can certainly happen if it hasn't happened already. So at this point in the movie, Bubby is feeling pretty down. He has no friends, no family, and a freshly fucked ass. That's pretty much all he really has in the world. And he wanders back to his parents' house, actually, which is a fucking crime scene. He wanders back there, and he um, he dons his his old pop's priest uniform. I guess it, they police just left that in the fucking closet, I suppose, and. He puts on the uniform and he sort of takes up the name of Pop. He just sort of like decides that he's going to just be his dad. He it's almost this thing where he feels that like him himself, his, Bubby, went out into the world and and he basically failed in the world. So now he is basically reinventing himself as, as pop. And so, I mean, now he's, he's homeless, you know, he doesn't have anybody. So he's now he's homeless and, um, he, he, you know, he kind of finds this sort of like abandoned warehouse trash heap area where he kind of settles in for the evening and he actually befriends another feral cat that sort of just walks up to him 
and takes a liking to him. And at one point, Pop decides to head out into the night to get pizza for himself and his new cat friend. And, uh, oh, oh, crapola, the pizza place he likes to go to is closed. And he's leaving the uh, pizza place and a there's a panhandler dude, this like old panhandler guy stops. Um, well, now Bubby is now Bubby is pop. So he stops pop for some uh, some spare change. He's begging for some, you know, for money. And pop gives him the <laughs> the 10 bucks that he got from jail. The next scene is, I mean, it's a level of humor that's on like an early early seasons of The Simpsons or like Monty Python level of good writing. And so this uh, obliged panhandler drags Pop into the nearest bar and wants to buy him a drink because he's like, here, here's 10 bucks. And he's like, oh, shit. 10 bucks. He's like, well, fuck, dude, let's, let's both of us go get a drink. Drags Pop into this bar. He's going to buy him a drink with uh, Pop's prison rape stipend. <laughs> but before they can even uh, order a drink, like they, as soon as they get into the bar, before they can even fucking order anything, Pop recognizes that there's a band playing in the bar. And he recognizes that the band that's playing are his buddies from earlier. And he's like, oh, shit, I know those guys. And he runs over to them. And you can hear the panhandler in the background. He yells, you ungrateful bastard. (laughs) And that shit was so fucking funny to me. Just the idea that the dude stops him on the street. Do you have any money? And he's like, yeah, here's 10 bucks. And he's like, 10 bucks. Fuck yeah. Let's go inside. I'm going to borrow you a drink. And then fucking Bubby takes off. And the bum calls Bubby a fucking ungrateful bastard. It's it's very funny. It's very clever writing. So, um, so Bubby, Pop, whatever you know. It's like at some point in the movie, he just decides to go by the name Pop. So he jumps on stage, and you know they they recognize him. They're like, oh shit, Bubby's here. And somebody uh, in the band just slides a, a mic over to um, over to him, and then Pop begins to deliver this like manic instant replay of phrases that were said aloud throughout the movie by other characters, but in the context of like a this sort of like rock band. I don't even know what kind of music they're playing. It kind of sounds like. Like, a, like uh, if there was a sort of a bad bar cover band that only wrote songs that sounded like a cross between, like, The Smiths and The Cure, but not nearly as good. <laughs> That's kind of what this band sounds like. So they hand Bubby a mic, and, and, and he just starts... We're just yelling out all these phrases that he's heard. Like he's meowing like a fucking cat. He's he's saying shit that fucking Harold yelled to him. He's like, you know, it's 
fucking brilliant. And the band realizes the amazingness of what's happening. And they keep playing. And Bubby ends up dishing out this performance that is like a cross between like the birthday party era Nick Cave and like Klaus Nomi. It's fucking, it's great. And the crowd loves it. And after the show, Bubby and the band are hanging out, eating pizza at this, you know, at this, like this bar. And they tell him that like, that was amazing. The crowd loved it. Like you're a permanent part of the band now. But with, but, but Bubby, if you remember, had a mission, okay? He went out this evening with a mission, and, I mean, he was, they they really want him to just stay because they know that, like, he's essentially homeless, so they're like, dude, you can just stay with us, it's fine, you know, you're, you're probably better off with us anyway, but Bubby, with the determination of someone who's on a 4 a.m. meth binge, Bubby's like, nope. I gotta go. Uh, I gotta go feed the. I gotta go feed the cat pizza. <laughs> he keeps saying, and Bubby fills his suitcase that he has with him with pizza and insists on making good on that promise to get pizza for his cat friend. So, but uh, so Bubby takes off. But when he gets to his uh, one man homeless encampment, he finds. Uh, three young hooligans have attacked and killed his new cat friend. Not cool. They they break his neck. It's fucked up. Now, this is the second dead cat of the movie. And, and like I said before, I believe this is... I believe that this particular cat was sedated for the scene. And again, not killed on camera. Not murdered. Director Rolf DeHair is not secretly making feline snuff films to sell on the black market, so everyone can relax. No one on the cast or crew of Bad Boy Bubby was inspiring to be the next Luca Magnata. Okay, so not that I'm aware of, at least, but uh, back to the movie. Bubby still going by pop is sitting in this park. It's the next day with his dead cat. When he meets a group of people who are in, they are wheelchair bound, mentally handicapped people with cerebral palsy. They're like cerebral palsy patients and their nurse that's accompanying them in the park that day is the character of angel. Who's been, to this point, like unnamed and scattered throughout the background of the entire movie. But now they finally meet and these palsy patients can't speak, right? Like everything that comes out is sort of like mumbled, gargled words that are not really understandable. So they can't really speak, but pop can understand them. Okay, he can like, and this, and and shocked by this, Angel brings Pop back to the hospital with these um, 
cerebral palsy patients to stay. Um, and her and the staff knows that if Bubby is left out, you know, if he's just kind of left out in, in the streets, he'll probably end up get thrown, being thrown into like a mental hospital or with real criminals in a prison somewhere. So, I mean, we know what will happen then. Someone will uh, fuck his butt the second the opportunity presents itself. So, hard cut to Angel showering Pop, and he. So he, she showers. She's basically giving him like a sponge back, and he w- wants to see her tits. Pop does, because as we establish, he thinks tits are super neato. And they are. So, uh, and Angel refuses to show Pop her tits, but will show Bubby because she realizes that he basically has two personalities, but knows that the real him is Bubby. By the way, Bubby has taken on the Pop identity because his actual Pop, who he killed, is the only person to have had sexual contact with his mom and finds confidence in being pop because he feels Bubby was or is a failure. So reinventing himself into pop is sort of like a coping mechanism because I have a degree in uh, psychology this is just this is just my interpretation of it, but and it's actually pretty obvious. But uh, but we all do that, don't we? We we all do that to combat our failures, don't we? We just sort of come up with a I don't know, try to reinvent ourselves and take on personality traits that are better than our own. We perceive to be better than our own, and somehow we think that'll make us feel better. I don't know. I guess sometimes it does. I guess it is. I guess it does. It's better to uh, strive to have attributes that would be that of a more confident and responsible person. (laughs) But don't get it twisted. Angel. Angel is a. She's kind of thirsty, if you know what I mean. So she actually does show uh, Bubby her her breasts, and Bubby's very stoked about this. So after this, we're back. We we're, we cut back to another show that the band is doing, and we're back on stage with the band. And, of course, uh, it's going to be featuring another performance by pop. So this time he gets on stage and he starts like mimicking his cerebral palsy friends. That's what he does. He runs into people and he can just fucking remember everything anyone said to him and be able to just regurgitate it. So, and since he's been hanging out with mentally handicapped cerebral palsy patients, he gets on stage and he starts acting like one of them and it's in, in a sort of like Blixa Bargeld meets Joe Cocker type performance it's and 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 Angel's there too 
<laughs> like he invites her to this uh, show. So this is like her, her real fo- uh, first exposure to, oh, this pop guy who can talk to handicapped people <laughs> is in a band <laughs> that's pretty popular. There's like a lot of people at this fucking bar to see this guy. So at this point, once they have that concert that Angel actually attends, at this point, Bubby's life actually starts to turn around for the better. The band is getting more popular. He has Angel in his new found uh, palsy whispering talent. And finally, and he finally buries his dead cat, which is good because, yeah, that's gross. So we get to see some more live show um, scenes and they get better and better as the movie, you know, as we move into the, uh, uh, get into the third act of the movie and they're funny and they're fun and they're shot with like a, you know, a real crowd and it just, even though it's a movie and it's none of it's real, like it seems like, Oh man, this would be fun. This looks like it'd be a fun show to go to. So, I mean, emotionally, the movie rings you out like a fucking pair of soiled underwear. <laughs> like, the movie is is just ups and downs of just, like, you see stuff that's really absurd. You see things that are, like, depressingly sad. And then you see things that are really funny. And it's, it's the movie's all over the place. But it's, like, it's fucking, like, Nicholas... Hope is he's in the entire movie. He's in the whole fucking thing. And his performance is brilliant. I don't, you know, you know what he kind of looks like? He's, he kind of looks like, um, just kind of give you an idea of what Nicholas Hope looks like. He looks like, um, kind of looks like Hugo weaving a little bit. You know, the guy who's like agent Smith in the matrix, you know, and, uh, I don't know. He played like a fucking elf in Lord of the Rings or some shit like that. But, yeah, uh, the guy is fucking incredible. I'm surprised that dude didn't turn out to be like the next Daniel Day Lewis or something. Like he's that good. And the scenes where uh, the scenes with all the palsy patients, which were they were, <laughs> they weren't actors. They were actually people with cerebral palsy. Like, like that's that stuff's kind of hard to look at, you know. It, it's you know, there's things about this movie that I think would, there's different things that would kind of give people uncomfortable feelings um, and things you wouldn't expect. But you know, if if you've ever spent any time around like like mentally handicapped people or people who are you know stuck in a wheelchair and can't really speak and stuff like that, is it's 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 difficult. It's diff. It, it's it's awkward. It's is, but it's you. But it, I mean, if you spend a few minutes with them, you you kind of start to see their personality. <laughs> it's like that with anyone, really, I guess. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, like when I was in high school, like I was a like a teacher's assistant for the uh, special ed class, and like all those kids in there were just like fucking seriously fucking mentally handicapped even okay okay i went i was in high school in the 90s and even then we said retarded so 
um, in this. So for the sake of this story, I'm just going to call them retarded. So all these retarded kids, like were some of them severely like, Oh my God, severely. But, um, they, they had a, they had some, a really good teacher. Um, they had a, they actually had like a couple of teachers, but they were the most patient, sweetest people and just kind of going in there and kind of helping them out. Cause you know, the fucking school district (laughs) fucking high school was probably not helping them out too much, but like, I don't know. That's, it's commendable. And, And that really, you know, that really adds to the angel characters character. I mean, to have that be your chosen profession is, it's impressive, you know, or if you just know anybody who's like a nurse, like my mother's a nurse and the, the, the fucking story she came home with in my childhood is fucking crazy. People with gunshot wounds and, you know, just watching people die in front of you and just people getting mangled in car crashes. And it's, it's fuck. It's fucked. <laughs> it's fucked. But in, and how she's not insane. I just, I, I, I don't understand how that woman is not in a fucking straight jacket somewhere. She's my mom's pretty fucking nice. So, so, you know, it's like, I watch this movie and I kind of have all that stuff going on in my head. So I'm just like, this is interesting. It's interesting to put a character. I mean, that's sort of the point of the whole movie. It's like putting a character like Bubby, who's not a really an archetype of any kind, you know, and he's, you know, this is not a typical hero's journey. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's like this, it like the, it's like this fish out of water story where the fish out of water is also the hero who's also like, like has a story arc, but you know, it's not like he's retarded or something. He's, his mental capabilities are limited because he just n- never learned how to do anything. He never learned how to socialize and he never learned how to read. And he never, so the way he thinks is not like a typical person who goes to fucking 12 years of public school and gets shit out into the world to go work for a minimum wage, you know? Uh, also the, the juxtaposition of scenes of the scene transitions is so jarring, but keeps you engaged the whole time is is great like you'll go from one scene like there's one scene where there'll be people having a good time and then it'll cut immediately to another scene that's just sort of in the middle of like a really disturbing scene and then that scene will jump to this other scene that's like funny it's just it's it's like that the way it's edited just you're just engaged the whole time because you have no idea where you're just like surprised constantly as the movie goes on. And also one thing that's weird is like this movie was shot in sequence, like, which is, I mean, that's, that's like rare and weird, but like, cause movies are not shot in order. The movies are shot usually out of order. And then they're put into order based on the script later in editing. I think, I don't know. I think most people know that, but this movie was shot in order and that really must've helped kind of craft Nicholas hopes uh performance because 
his whole character is like, okay, he learns a little bit, but you know, some people, someone will say something to him. And then in the next scene, he'll say what somebody said to him in the previous scene to a random stranger. And sometimes that has good results. And sometimes that has bad results because <laughs> he doesn't really know exactly what he's saying. He's just sort of like reacting to people with some shit that someone said to him just a few minutes ago. So in, in the whole movie is like that. So, I mean, that must have, in terms of crafting a character for the screen, like having shot this entire movie in sequence must have been, that must have been massively beneficial to uh, Nicholas Hose's performance. So, um, let's see what happens after that. Oh yeah. We get like another, uh, religion can suck my balls scene. And this time angel takes pop to go have dinner with her parents. And it's a fucking total disaster. Her parents are, her parents are total pompous old assholes who think angel is quote, a fat slut and God hates fat people. <laughs> That's an idea. If anyone from the Westboro Baptist church is listening, I'm sure I have a lot of listeners from the Westboro Baptist church. That's a sign idea uh, that you can, you can go ahead and borrow. God hates fat people. Pop basically tells them because if, at some point, because they're berating her, you know what I mean? They're like, our daughter's a fat slut and fucking she sucks and all this shit. And, and she's mortified. She's thoroughly embarrassed and she's visually very upset. You know what I mean? Like she starts crying and shit. And Pop basically tells them like, uh, I like fat sluts. And God is a useless cunt, and he can eat my dick. I'm paraphrasing. But that's basically what he says to them. So, off camera, and this is, I actually missed this part the first time I watched it. Completely flew over my head. So, after this, um, off camera, Pop kills Angel, Angel's parents. And I don't know how this movie does it. Like, it'll just show you how a scene, how a situation plays out. But it'll show you in this, like, five to ten second little clip. And then it'll just, like, talking about that sort of, like, jarring scene transition where it just jumps to the next thing. You sort of, like, forget about what you just saw. And... I totally forgot about this. It was like after this, like, you know, the horrible dinner with Angel's parents, he, you see him go to the, this, the, you know, the little fucking dumpy area where he basically sleeps outside and you can see him like kind of rooting through the trash and he actually finds some fucking plastic wrap <laughs> and, and then it just cuts to the next scene where she's like, oh yeah, my both my parents were killed and you're like, what? <laughs> Holy shit. Fucking pop lost his shit and fucking went and killed angels parents. So 
you know, you know, we just get a brief scene of Angel telling Pop, like, you know, about the untimely death of her parents. But she seems completely unbothered by this. Who, but who could blame her? Um, her parents sucked. She has no idea Pop did it either, but we as the audience know that he did it. So, also, she doesn't know that, like, he killed his parents either. Like, she doesn't, she has no idea about any of this. But we get a short but interesting scene of Pop's band member, like, one of his band members. I think it's, like, one of the guitar player guys. He has this scene where he's discussing. Uh, and the way it's shot is really cool, actually. He's basically discussing with Pop, like, how different religions all over the world have been killing each other forever and ever, and it's not a good thing. That's basically kind of the point of the scene. And his bandmate knows that Pop killed his parents and knows that Pop killed Angel's parents. But, uh, I mean, he's a homie, so he's just like, like, hey, man, like, our band's doing really well. You know, we're about to be rich and famous soon. So, you know, could you promise to uh, not kill anyone and, you know, and don't don't mention it to anybody? You know, no one needs to know. You know, he's, he, and Pop's like, yeah, I totally promise not to kill anyone. Sure, no problem, dude. It's kind of like Terminator 2 Judgment Day. It's like, I swear I will not kill anyone. You know, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, but will Pop not kill anybody? Uh-huh. I don't know. He's taken the law into his own hands several times. So, but who knows? But that's the same thing as you, as even at this point, you're still on his side. Like you still sympathize with him. You like him. So we jump to the last scene, and it's it's. Uh, I mean, it's not the last scene, but it's the last performance of the band, the the band of the film, and the band has a new name. They're now called, uh, and there's like a banner uh, in the bar. That's uh, it. They're called Pop and the Cling Rap Killers. Pretty awesome name. Uh, Pop is wearing his usual priest attire the fucking place is packed with people and the band is wearing like priest collars and ski masks that are made of cling wrap (laughs) so and there's like i mean you can tell they have like a following like there's people in the audience that are wearing fucking like like pops outfit like a fucking priest collar and it's you could tell that they have built up a following, you know, and the band looks like, um, you know, with their cling wrap ski mask, they look like the band, uh, the locust. If you, if you ever, if you're, <laughs> if you're familiar with the locust, that's what the band looks like. Um, they look crazy basically. So, and it genuinely in this scene, like you could tell that the band is really tight now. Like they have, they got new material. They got the look of the band. They they really got their shit together now, and it and it actually looks like genuinely like a like a great show. So we go from this like cool concert scene, and it just suddenly transitions into this like 
into this like dreamlike ending where Bubby and Angel have they end up having two children and and a new cat actually if you <laughs> and this the and the scene ends by um Angela gives birth and it's like like she's like butt naked on a table and like <laughs> like a baby's delivered out of her. You're just like, oh my god, I wasn't expecting that. But uh but yeah, they the 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 scene kind of ends where they they have two kids running around in the yard and you know, the yard has lots of plants and Angel's sitting with their kitten playing with it and and Bubby's playing with the kids in the yard and they live happily ever after. And that's the end of Bad Boy Bubby. And um, another thing I didn't notice until I watched it a few, the movie a few times, that the house that they're sitting in the yard, like playing with the kids with, it's they're actually <laughs> if they are now living in Angel's dead parents' house, <laughs> which is. It doesn't even really look like a house. It looks like a portable, like, trailer. If you've ever seen any of those, like, portable classrooms, if you ever had to go to, like, elementary school or high school where, you you know, you had, like, extra classrooms that were, like, these portable buildings. That's what the outside of it looked like, but the inside just looks like a regular house. It's weird. They they live there now where their dead parents. I, I'm assuming Bubby went there and killed her parents in the house and now they live there with their two kids and their new cat. So when you see the ending, it's very sweet and it looks very fun and it looks like they have this wonderful life together now. But (laughs) if you're not paying attention, you don't, you won't notice that, Oh fuck. They're living in angels, murdered parents house. So they, (laughs) it's, um, Ah, but that's fun. That adds that adds some character to the movie, and and uh, that's the end of Bad Boy Bubby. And it is an absolutely wonderful film. I'm I can't believe I've never seen this movie uh, prior to you know. Um, I, I can't believe I, I made it to forty and never seen this movie. I've always kind of like heard about it, but. You know, I just never got around to seeing it. But uh, I definitely recommend it. Uh, go find it wherever the hell you can. I know that it's, uh, yeah, you can get it online. <laughs> Unless you really want to buy a physical copy. But, you know, you can stream it. It's out there. It's not too hard to find. Um, but I'm also, if uh, I want to give you an update on the Patreon, I... Am going to do a Patreon episode. The first one, the first Patreon episode, is coming soon. It's going to uh, be up in a couple days. And uh, you know, speaking of Australian films, I'm actually going to be talking about the uh, Eric Bana film Chopper, about the real life Australian gangster underworld criminal. Mark Brandon Chopper Reed. And I saw this movie when I first moved away from home with my culinary school 
dorm roommate Calvin at the Lumiere Theater, which is now gone. It doesn't exist anymore um, in San Francisco. And it's a, uh, it's a it's also a very fucking awesome Australian film. And I'll be talking about that. <clears throat> and uh, what else? I'll, and I'll also be uh, talking about a um, Jim Varney movie. Everyone knows Jim Varney as Ernest P. Whirl. But uh, he also did a movie back in the day called Dr. Otto and the Riddle of the Gloom Beam. And it's a character he didn't perform very often, but he did an entire movie about it. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to be talking about that as well as Chopper and um, probably a few other things. So you can go check that out on Patreon. That's Skeleton Factory on Patreon. And if you can go there and support the show, that would be greatly appreciated. Also, you can keep up with myself on Instagram at skeleton underscore factory. That's on the Instagram. And again, I'd like to uh, thank our new sponsor, deep Eddie vodka. Thank you very much uh, for taking us under your uh, sponsorship wing. Uh, (laughs) Um, that's all for now, everybody. Thank you very much for listening. This is Adam. And uh, as always, I'm here to rescue your movie night one movie at a time. Catch you all in the next one. Bye-bye.